You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to another edition. I'm Mike Keynes, and joined again, as always, by Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren. Darren, how are you today? Doing good. Good to be with you guys. Well, it was a tremendous uh, sermon on Sunday, Drew. Uh, you were in your finest form. In, <laughs> now, it, you didn't. You're st- I don't know how you're going to get through a year and a half by going, what did you do, three verses? <laughs> we're going to pick up the pace <laughs> here soon, I promise. <laughs> well, the topic, of course, was the seventh day, and we call it the Sabbath. And I know as a kid for me, I was introduced to it. I, I was born in New York City, grew up there. And uh, in, in the city and out on Long Island, and a tremendous amount of Jewish people there. In fact, there's more Jewish people in New York City than any other city in Israel. Oh, so, wow. uh, oh, so wow. there's there, yeah, more than Tel Aviv or anywhere. And so I was exposed to it very early on, very Orthodox Jews, and I would be invited over to, to my friend's house for Shabbat on Friday night. And I would see the rituals, I would see uh, the food, uh, the prayers, the different things. That would, but how important it was, I think the main thing is how important it was for them to have that rest and not do anything from Friday night to Saturday. And that was, I think, something that came across on Sunday, Drew, was how important this is to God not just to the Jewish people, but also, of course, for Christians to have this day of rest. Right. And growing up in the church, for me, we would read these these verses in Genesis chapter 2, and you would see this picture of rest and, and, and Sabbath, and then you'd read the commands in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. But as an evangelical, I had no context for that. You know, growing up in the Midwest, I didn't really have a chance to see that. So that's really cool that you had a chance to see it in action. I think when, I don't know about you, but when I read through Genesis 2, so often I get into this, especially early on, I get into this idea of like, well, why did God need to rest? Mm -hmm, And I almost get hung up on this idea of, well, why would an all-powerful God need to rest? And, oh, okay, this is something that, you know, um, the the Jewish or Israelite culture needed to understand, but it's not something that I really needed to know for my life. But I think that's what's so important about us diving into it deep and spending the time combing through these verses because we see that God has these purposes for all of his people. And and within something as simple as God resting on the seventh day, there is layers and layers and layers of beautiful reality and truth that God gives us that we miss when we just read it really quickly and don't spend the time to dig in. And Darren, it's obvious very important to God uh, to have this day of rest for a variety of reasons that we can talk about. But why do you think in the evangelical Christian world, we Sunday is just um, another day while maybe you're not going to work, you've still got a lot of things to do, you're working on the yard, you're, you're shopping, you're doing things. Why do we not take it as serious, I think as a whole as evangelical Christians, than maybe we should according to the Bible? 
Yeah, when we get to our Sunday, in our calendar, actually, that's the beginning of our of our week. Technically, it's the beginning of the week. Some calendars start on Monday, and they, they need to stop because Sunday really Those is. calendars are wrong. <laughs> yeah, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday is, is the first day of the week. Right. And so, I mean, that brings up one thing of, of why do Christians do it on Sunday. Well, um, the original Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday because that is the last day of the week. Sunday was the first day, but Jesus rose on Sunday. And so the first Christians converted their day of celebration and rest and worship of Jesus and God to Sunday, the day he rose from the dead. The Lord's Day. Yeah, and it was always just a, a, a rehashing, a, a celebration, um, a, a remembrance service of the resurrection. So Resurrection Sunday was every Sunday. And so that's why we've, we've moved it to Sunday. Uh, as far as your question goes of uh, why don't we do a good job, I think a lot of it has to do with culture. Mm-hmm. And the, the way, especially in America, it, we're, we pride ourselves a little bit on, on being busy. Like, what, hey, how, how's it going? Oh, man, I'm, I'm busy. And it's a badge of honor that we wear on our sleeve. Like, to be exhausted and to be busy means you're doing something with your life. But what God is trying to communicate here is, look, I created everything, but then I modeled this for you to rest, to stop. That's what Shabbat, Sabbath, means, to cease, to stop, to rest, and just to enjoy being in creation with God. What about the Seventh-day Adventists? I mean, you, you can certainly make a case that they are good, strong Christian people. I have been to their churches before, and but they are adamant that it's Saturday and not Sunday. Right, and their, their opinion is that, yes, Jesus came and fulfilled the law, but that doesn't mean that we don't honor the, the Ten Commandments. And so they believe that, you know, as we should honor all the Ten Commandments, right? Don't worship false idols, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, all those things, that the Sabbath is just as important. And so that is a command that we must follow. And so for Seventh-day Adventists, you know, that, that's Saturday. And so for them, church happens on Saturday. That's the day of rest for them. And, and you know, they even built it into their name, right? Into their name right. of the church because it's so important to them. Right. And, and they hold on to that. And it's interesting, Darren and I, we were at a conference this last week and a, a buddy of ours was, was leading a breakout session. And he was talking about some research that was done looking at Seventh-day Adventists. Mm-hmm. And it just, it found out that they're less stressed. They're healthier. There, there's so many, you know, health markers that they're experiencing, you know, are, they, they framed in Saturdays very strictly for them, but they are seeing some of the health benefits of it throughout the rest of the week. Cortisol, right? That's, yeah. that's the word. Yeah, Drew talked about that uh, towards the beginning, yeah. and, and he, he, called up, he talked about hurry sickness. And cortisol is, is this uh, hormone that triggers your body's fight or flight response. And so that, that's, that's through all animals. Like when, when an when a antelope is grazing and all of a sudden hears something, that it might be a predator, it, it triggers the same response in humans that it does in an antelope when a lion's running after him. And so cortisol is this thing that floods your body, and what it does is it raises your blood pressure, and it makes extra energy reserves available for your body to use, either to run really fast or to fight really good. And, uh, and, and humans can experience that in a, an environment of stress, whether that's at work, whether it's you're on the road and, and, and a truck is starting to veer towards you and you're freaking out. Mm. Like, and I think we've all experienced that this moment where we feel our body just go on edge, yeah. our hair on the back of our neck gets raised, right. all that kind of stuff. That is cortisol flooding our system. And with cortisol, if we live in, in a constantly stressful environment, our body, our, our body can be constantly flooded with that hormone. And that creates some of these awful um, health 
dif- health effects that, that we've seen. Um, I've worked in, it, in education with, with trauma. Students who live in a home that is not safe, mm. that could be abusive, right. they, they are always on edge. We, we might call it uh, colloquially a language like flipping your lid. When you flip your lid, you're angry, you're irrational, you're, you're crazy, and you, you don't have the ability to, re, to reel yourself in and, and get yourself back under control. I saw this with Patrick Mahomes on Sunday. Yeah, the jiggly feet. Like right. if, if you see someone who's nervous and their hands right. shaking, like it could be, and you know, the, it's a high stress environment. Yeah. And so what that does then is, is your body is used to that, but you can never like your body is always in that state of constant fight or flight. And then when those students who are in that environment come to school, all of a sudden that they can't learn because their body is constantly wondering where the next attack is coming from. Right. And, and it's trauma that that's the word that we use in education to talk about that and trying to help them understand this is a safe place so that maybe their body can get rid of that cortisol and actually learn something. And that happens in, in the adult world too. If we're constantly under stress, if we never rest. We might always have cortisol in our system. Well, the bigger question though is I think drew is, is it a sin it's one thing to say, well, it'd be good for you if you if you rested and, and just talked about the health benefits. But you mentioned about holiness regarding this, the Ten Commandments. If we as a society and as an evangelical Christian do not take that day of rest, are because you say, oh, there's murder, adultery, uh, not obeying your parents. Here's your list, you know, being good to your neighbors. Do we put this on the sin list if we're not doing it? That's a great question. I like to think of it as cause and effect, right? And so is it a sin to be busy? No. Is it a sin to hurry? I think hurry and busyness are the cause, right? And so too much hurry and too much busyness it can be the cause that leads you to sin. We think of sin as missing the mark, right? As, as missing God's mark. And so if we're always hurrying and we're always in a busy state, as Darren just just mentioned, and we just our our lives are flooded with with um, you know cortisol, and and we are are just in this constant constant state of panic. Then we're going to end up restless. We're going to end up um, burned out. We're going to end up we're going to end up um, short short. Um, tempers right and we're going to end up sinning right because we're going to yell at somebody we're going to get upset we're going to we're going to do something we're going to turn to medicating right uh, or, or doing something that's going to be outside of what god wants for us so i don't necessarily necessarily think that being busy or being in a hurry is a sin in itself but it's the cause that i think can lead us to sin because of the choices we make no but i'm saying more of if you don't take that day and really, truly rest, are you committing a sin? I, I think there's something to be said about the accountability that God that God calls us to. Since we are in a new covenant with Him, if we've declared our faith in Him, there are things that we should be called to and that we should prioritize in our lives. Um, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 talk about the Sabbath rest a little bit. Um, and I want to read a little bit here if I can. It, the context right before this is that it, uh, the, the preacher in Hebrews is talking about the Israelites. They did not follow God and they were not allowed to enter his rest because of that. And rest being like the promised land, you know, they, they, they tried to go gather manna on the seventh day instead of gathering twice as much on the sixth day and stuff like that. And so in Hebrews 4, it starts out, it says, therefore... Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. 
For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share faith of those who obeyed. Now we, who have believed, enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And so we know that story of when they're about to go into the promised land, the 12 spies go, uh, two come back with a good report, 10 come back with a bad report, and, say, and, and they say, we shouldn't go in. And the people say, oh no, we can't go in. But God says, no, I, I've got your back. I got it. But they didn't follow God. They didn't trust him. They didn't want to enter his rest, to go into the promised land. And the Greek word here for rest, it relates directly to Shabbat in the Hebrew. And so uh, right after that, in the middle of verse three, it goes on. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. And I love this. Uh, verse four says, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And so he's directly correlating the, the passage that we preached on in, in Genesis two and says, you, this is something you should do. Let's not make the mistake the Israelites did. Let's go ahead and do it. Let's, let's protect ourselves, get some rest, worship God together, be together, experience his presence, and let's not always be busy. Right. You know, I, we live in a, a world where sports are really important, and three of us, we love sports, right? It, two of the most famous um, things regarding sports and the Sabbath— did you watch the movie Chariots of Fire? Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. where it was about, it was an Olympic runner, and he refused to run on Sundays. And then there's also Sandy Koufax, who is one of the greatest pitchers in the history of baseball, and he's Jewish, and he refused to pitch on Fridays or Saturdays. And it was a big deal because he was with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and they were a great team. But and he was a great pitcher, but he would not. He, my point being. He stood his ground, said, this is what I believe. Now, in Chariots of Fire, that Olympic athlete Eric was Lyle. a Christian. Yeah. And, and he, I mean, he took a lot of grief for it. So you think, but boy, they really believe, they really believed and stood with their beliefs. Is it wrong? We watch these guys play football on Sunday. Are, are they not doing something? Are they doing something they shouldn't be doing? Well, it's a really good question, Mike. If you think about it. Look at the rest of the Ten Commandments, right? And again, we're looking through the lens of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. But if you look at that list of Ten Commandments and you say, if I did any of those other things, is lying a sin? Well, yeah. Is, is murder a sin? Of course. Is, is disobeying your parents a sin? The Ten Commandments would say they are, right? Is, is not honoring God and worshiping a false idol a sin? You would say yes. Well, then why would we not think that disobeying the Sabbath isn't one, right? And that's a hard one for us because as evangelicals living in the 21st century, right. it's not even on our radar. Yeah. Right? We'll say, well, lying, yeah, for sure that's a sin. Ooh, mm. the Sabbath? And is that Ooh. Sunday? Yeah. Is it su- Sunday? Is it is Saturday? It Saturday? Right. And well, I think the fact— Can that, we just pick a day? Right. And, and I think that's where you hit it where you really get into some good discussion because when uh, you look at the the picture that uh, Jewish culture had, right, it was evening and morning the next day, right? It was Friday night to, to you know, Saturday night, right? And so now as Christians, if you look back over, uh, you know, much of Christian culture, you'll see that when they've tried to do the Sabbath, they've tried to do Sundays. Mm-hmm. Just go watch Little House on the Prairie, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's Sunday, right? For yeah. us, I think God does give us some flexibility. And I think he's just saying, look, there's a pattern I created the world to work. You saw me, I worked for six days and I rested on day seven. This is the pattern that you need in your life. 
Now, it's up to us to put that into place. And that might look differently for you, Mike, than it does for Darren and it does for, for me. We're pastors and we work on Sundays. We work right. on Sundays, right? So right. it could be, you know, Saturday for us. I, John Mark Comer, I, I talked about his book yesterday. It's, it's revolutionized so much of the way I even mm-hmm. look at the Sabbath. He, he says 5 p.m. On, on Friday night to 5 p.m. on Saturday night. That, that's his 24 hours. Uh, Darren and I have a friend. He's sun up on Friday to sundown on Friday. It really depends on you. I think what God cares about is our heart, right? Right. So if you look at this concept of following Jesus, it's not about checking the box or being legalistic. It's all about the intention. And if the intention of your heart is to honor God through finding a way to rest and worship in him, then then God's going to be pleased with that. It, it, so for us, we have to be careful. It's less about like, ooh, I got to make sure I do this, so I'm checking the box, mm. and more about... I need to make sure I do this because this is what God says is good for me. Right. And, and it can bring life. Again, another thing Drew talked about is that God blesses three things. He blesses the birds and the, and the animals and, and says, be fruitful, multiply. I bless you. He blesses the humans to do the same thing. And he blesses the Sabbath because right. it, it can bring life if you stop and, and slow down. Let's get into the number seven. seven. This, this is fascinating to me uh, of how important this number seven is. This is the seventh day. Uh, and God rested. Why, Darren, is seven so important? Why is this such a, a, a very important number towards God? Yeah, there, there are lots of numbers of patterns in the Bible, like 40 is another one, uh, 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus is tempted for 40 days, uh, the flood happens for 40 days, 40 nights. It's a period of testing. The number seven is a number of completeness, where every time that it comes up, or even if it's like 49, seven times seven, 77, all of that is meant to um, help us get this picture. It's not a literal number per se. It's more of a representative, a metaphorical number of, of completeness. It is. The, 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 the pattern of seven is really beautifully done, and it, it's a thread that runs throughout Scripture. There's a great quote by um, this dude, um, and his name is Umberto Casuto. It's a really cool name. And he wrote a commentary on the book of Genesis, and he says this, to suppose that all the appearances of the number seven are mere coincidence is not possible. This numerical symmetry is, as it were, the golden thread that binds all the parts of the section. And so you look at Genesis 1, 1 through Genesis 2, 3, and you see the seven days of creation. And in that seven days of creation, you see this pattern where God is constantly reading, repeating the number seven, or he's using certain words in seven. So... We talked a little bit last week about how God's creation story is a poem. And in it, there's seven paragraphs. There's seven days. The very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, there's actually seven words. And Darren and I, we think we're cool because we got our Hebrew Bible. Yes, I know. Darren, right. won't you read that for us? Yeah. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim va'et ha'aretz. Yeah, so in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew... It's seven words, right? And, and so when you look at this picture of seven, it does bring in this idea of completeness. And God is saying to us, well, I do things completely. I make things complete. But we don't just jump to the number seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven all come together. And like Darren said, if you look throughout scripture, you see when Peter asked Jesus, hey, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? Jesus is like, no, seven times, 70 times, right? There's this picture of complete. And and. Forgiving somebody 490 times is a ridiculous kind of idea, right? But Jesus is saying, completely forgive people. Right. And so there's this picture. If you look at Genesis 1-1 through 2-3, this is cool. God's name is, is said 35 times, 7 times 5. Land is mentioned 21 times, 7 times 3. The skies, 21 times, right? Um, there, there is this, this 
beautiful thread of seven. So on the seventh day, God rests, which is the picture that God is saying, I'm, I've created all of it and now I'm going to rest. I'm setting a pattern for mankind. Follow my pattern. You need rest too. But God's, all, God's also giving another implication here that I'm, by rest, he's, he's saying, I am sovereign over everything I've created. and I'm sovereign over time. And so all of it's mine and all of it's complete. But there is one really cool thing when you look at the way that each of the days in the poem of creation are, are outlined. Day one, evening and there, there was not evening and, and, and morning. Day two, evening and morning. Day three, evening and morning. All the way through day six. What do you see on day seven? You don't see evening and morning. So it's the picture that God completely created everything. The world, all of us, he rested. And that we are still in the seventh day today. Is the fact of wanting to, uh, God wanting us to have rest, is that um, coming before or after or including both in terms of sin uh, coming into the like world? Genesis 3. Right. Once, once uh, you know, Satan attempts uh, Adam and Eve and, and the fruit is eaten and no, everything changes, did, did that start the, the fact of having to have rest, or was that already in place even before sin yeah. showed up? Uh, according to Genesis, it, it happened before, mm-hmm. where you have a good rhythm of work. Like Adam and Eve were supposed to work the garden, plant trees, mm-hmm. uh, reap the crop, and, and it was good and healthy for them to do. Um, it, and, and then take rest, enjoy the presence of God, enjoy what you've created, and, and rest in that. So definitely, I think it's, it's a pattern that will be... Uh, in the world after Jesus comes back to redeem everything mm. and we will work and we will rest and we will have great so you're saying in enjoy. heaven we're still going to have oh, this yeah. time of rest yeah I, I think heaven will be something eerily similar to earth it's just that somehow our we'll, relationships are fixed do it's you amazing. think we will sleep in heaven oh yeah sleep is awesome <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is the best I think so you think, I think we're gonna be that that I was always curious about that I mean I understand the rest part but why is one third of our lives spent sleeping well why would I think, God want that for us I think God created us as um you know eternal souls right mm-hmm. but but our our, our bodies need to recharge. And I think mm-hmm. if you look at the pattern God created, while we do need to sleep to recharge for the next day, we need that seventh day, that Shabbat, that day of rest to recharge our souls and our spirits, mm-hmm. right? To have right. the energy to take care of God's creation. You know, God gives us a ridiculously big job description in day six. He says, you have dominion, right? right? You rule this world as my image bearer. Right. That takes a lot of energy. So we expend energy. We need to rest at nighttime and get some sleep and, and recharge. But we need that day of rest where we're trusting in God. Think about it like this. If, if you are um, a farmer or a rancher, by doing the Sabbath, God's saying, you can't, I mean, you need to let your animals just do their thing. I know. You, you don't go out and plow your field. Right? right? You guys spend a day worshiping God and resting. And to do that, um, Darren, you grew up on a farm. You know, that's probably pretty hard to do. To, to do that, you have to trust that God's going to take care of your farm. Mm-hmm. And you're trusting that God's going to take care of your, of, your, of your animals. And you better make sure you've done what you needed to do throughout the week right. to get it covered. And, and so I think God gave us this pattern. And here's why I think he gave it to us in Genesis 1 before sin. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, God says, remember like, remember, I told you guys to do this. And in Deuteronomy chapter five, he says, observe. And so he's saying, hey guys, remember at the very beginning, I told you guys what is you, the pattern for flourishing in your life is taking one day off a week. Now, 
sins enter the world, things are messed up. You need to remember that and you mm. need to observe that because that's the pattern I started in the very beginning. So as far as the pattern goes, I want to to see how Jesus, when he comes and starts his ministry, he's actually going to point back to this pattern of seven. Um, so th- there, there's patterns of seven all over. One of them is called the year of Jubilee. Uh, the year of Jubilee was set up in, in the law of God in the Torah, where every 50th year, which was after seven sevens, and so it's like the ultimate completeness. So you, you have seven years that there, there was a celebration where you had to let your land lie fallow every seven years, which was good practice for your land to recoup its nutrients. And then you would plant them again and they go for six years. Um, if you do that seven times, then you have 49 years. So it's a big year of, of rest. And then on the 50th year, which was the year after, you have a year of Jubilee. Am I right so far? Yep. It's, it's 50th year. Yeah. 49th. Yeah. Seven sevens. So yeah, seven seventh year, you have a year of Jubilee. And in this year, um, you would have to set any slaves you had free. Anybody that, that was poor and had to become oh, your indentured service would be set free. All the land would be returned to the original family owners. And, and it's like the entire tribe of Israel would reset and, and go again. And it was a, an incredible display of God's grace that you are not to be an imperialistic society, Israel. You're supposed to welcome everybody, to reset everything every every year of Jubilee. Now, when Jesus comes in and he begins his ministry, you might know the story. He, he goes to the temple, and the scripture reading for that day was from the book of Isaiah. And here's what Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. That's sounding like the year of Jubilee. And then he says in verse uh, Luke 4, verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is the year of Jubilee. So Jesus is saying, I am here for the ultimate year of Jubilee. God is coming back. Mm-hmm. I am here. And I, this is the beginning of my ministry. Everything's going to be free. You're going to have the, the opportunity to come into the presence of God. Do you want to... Uh elaborate a little bit more on what you talked about what the Egyptians did and how on that seventh day what they would put a like a little idol into the temple right you want to this is what we're trying to do on the podcast you only have so much time during your sermons to elaborate on things I know that was an important point you were trying to make on Sunday would you like to maybe go a little deeper into it in the last couple minutes that we have yeah let's let's pull out a couple threads from Mm -hmm. from this you know we've talked over and over again on Sundays and in this podcast about how God wants to use context to help us understand things and so if God was speaking to us today he would use things in 21st century that we'd understand right you know in in the book of Psalms he talks about you know hey we we don't put our pride in chariots and horses and and we're like well well, neither do we but you know he to us he would say hey we don't put our prides in, in in cars and houses you know and so in our context, God uses things that we understand. In, in the um, ancient Near East cultures, especially in Egypt, when they would build temples, um, they ran on a seven-day calendar. I mean, I think, you know, God created the world to work on seven days, right? And so, the, so they would build a temple, and then on the seventh day, they would bring their little fake God into that temple. And by putting him in the temple, he would rest, quote-unquote, take, take authority over that temple, Right. And now he was at, he was in his space. Um, this little fake God was in his space and now he would have rule over this area. And so the Israelites would have known that imagery. And so when God comes in and he gives this, this picture of creation on day seven, 
He says, I've created everything, right? Somebody else didn't create this for me like the little fake God in Egypt and then bring me in on day seven. No, I created all this. But then in day seven, I rested. Somebody didn't set me in there to give me authority and power. No, I rested and I sat over all of this. And, and God is, he's taking that imagery and saying what you heard before was wrong. That's not the way it works. Let me show you who really is in charge. And so God, again, is using context that ancient Near East people would have understood by using temple language that we don't get. But there's something for us there is that on day seven, when God rests, God isn't going, I need a, I need a break because I'm tired. <laughs> God said, no, I'm resting right. by taking sovereignty and authority over all of this that I created. And by you, person made in my likeness, men and women, you should rest on day seven too because you are also having dominion and authority over the world I created. And one of the interesting things, and, and, and you know, Mike and Darren, you guys have heard this, is... is um, Opponents of Christianity will say, well, Christians just borrow all these things for these other religions, or Christianity stole that from the Babylonians, or they stole this from the Egyptians, or they stole this mythology from somebody else. And I, and I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think that um, you see what God does is he recorrects misunderstandings, but he will use things that, under, that, that, that people understand to make sense of a transcendent truth. So God may be saying, hey, this was a way that that temples were that temples were handled and you know things were sorry about that this was a way that that in Egypt there was some some um, temple practice he's saying let me take that picture in your mind and let me give you a transcendent truth actually on day 7 i took control and of all i created i sat down and rested and which means i am sovereign over all creation and that by resting, you need to, to follow my pattern because that's what, this is what I've created you to do too. And to have sovereignty and dominion over what I've created. And so you need to come and rest too. This is the pattern for your life. So Christianity didn't borrow that. Moses didn't borrow that. It didn't steal that from the Egyptians. Right. God is saying, hey, I'm going to set the record straight. And I'm just going to use something that you can understand to understand this idea of truth that I'm trying to communicate. That makes sense. And understanding a lot of that context really helps us understand better of who God is, because then we know what it meant for them way back then. And we can translate that to, to us and, and what it means for us. And there's a word that we use for that. Um, and it's, it, it's a polemic. So is this what God is saying here on the seventh day? Is it a polemic against the gods of Egypt? Is it in direct dialogue and conf a confrontation with, with how the Egyptians viewed things? Some people say that a lot more of Genesis is a polemic. It's, it's fighting against that culture. And others say, no, it's its own thing that's, that's really not speaking into that context. And, and that's something that I'm really interested in. If I do more study after seminary, I'm going to learn a lot more about ancient Near East context because I love, I love that kind of stuff. That, that <laughs> Boy, did Darren's about. face just light up? Holy cow, you do. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Uh, we need to rest <laughs> from this podcast. And uh, next week, oh, is it going to be good? Uh, you're going to be uh, reaching on the creation of uh, Adam and Eve and then what happens garden in the garden. Ooh, oh, yeah. That's it's a, be good. That's a good Come one. back next week. Tune yeah, in. Yeah, tune in for sure uh, on Sunday uh, for, uh, for Pastor Drew as he delivers the sermon for Forefront Church at Harvey Park. And then we'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story. I'm Mike Haynes for Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren. Thanks so much. Great to be with you guys. Listening. See ya. You have been listening to More to the Story a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story. Podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon 
as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.